Hey now, this is the Word Made Fresh podcast with your host, I'm Matthew Tracy, and I'm Wendy Lissantil. Once again, thanks for joining us. We are done right. Delighted to have you. Thanks for being with us, guys. Welcome one, welcome all. In the last series, we had an opportunity to study about the Bible and why we believe it's inspired. And we believe there are many questions that people have about not only the Bible, but about the world. Why do we have sin in the world? Why do we have evil in the world? Could evil, could sin have been prohibited? And why do we still have evil and sin in the world today? And we believe that each of those questions can be answered to the Bible. So we want to start a new series addressing the question and the topic about the fall and redemption of mankind. What will be our study for today? So today we're going to be picking it off with the apostasy of Satan and his fall from heaven. Yes, and this will be the first study in this series about the fall and apostasy of mankind. But before we do that, let's pray. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you God for giving us this time to once again open and study your word. As we are dealing with questions that involve the deepest concerns of human nature and of our own lives, we just ask and pray that your spirit will be with us and give us clarity on this topic of why there is sin and suffering and help us to please make sense of it and settle it in our heart. Please grant us the peace of God that passes understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Every time we study this topic of sin and evil and suffering, there is this very powerful saying that's pretty common, and I want to read it, and I'll let you tell us what is your opinion about it. It goes like this, that if God is willing to prevent evil, but if he's not able, then the conclusion is that God is not omnipotent. If God then is able but is not willing, then we say that God is malevolent. And if God is both able and God is willing, then the question comes, where does evil come from? So it's the it's the basic question if God is all loving, all knowing and all powerful, why is there evil? Mm-hmm. So the best place to start from a biblical perspective is to first look at what the Bible says about God. And the Bible makes one declaration about God that is extremely important. Mm. It says in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 16, God is love. Mm-hmm. And this is very different than what can be said of a human being. Yeah. We are loving. Mhm something that we do but god is love yeah and if i want to interject i believe the bible is actually the only book that makes this powerful claim you know and and a lot of books we read that god is loving or you know we are loving but the bible is the only book that actually pinpoints that god is in essence love it's very deep and what it implies then is that to allow evil is actually an act of love wow that's a powerful saying it's pretty hard to comprehend that. But the Bible also says in Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 6 that God's ways are everlasting. Mm-hmm. In James chapter 1 verse 17, it says that with God there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6, God himself declares, I am the Lord, I change not. So God does not change, and everything that he does is therefore a manifestation of love. Mm-hmm. Amen. So if we are willing to submit and acknowledge that God is loving, that God is all-knowing, and that God is powerful, then we must address the question, where did evil 
come right. from. So to understand where evil came from, it's first necessary for us to look at God as the source of all things, and that before God, there really was nothing. Mm-hmm. Psalm chapter 90, verse 2, it reads, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Mm-hmm. Isaiah chapter 43, and verse 10, God declares before me, there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. Yes, and we find this concept throughout the Bible. We see that God is what we call the Alpha, is the beginning of everything. The Alpha and the Omega. Yes. And everything that he made was good. Mm-hmm. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, says that God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was not just good, but very good. Mm-hmm. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 says, He, that's speaking of God, God has made everything beautiful in his time. Yes, and we see if God is powerful, his creation is, is, is well done. And we, we are willing to submit that the creation and the works of God is good. But that doesn't really help us to answer the question, though. Uh, if, if everything that God created is good, if everything that God created is perfect, then where does sin, where does evil originate? Yes. So, surprisingly, a sin actually came from one of the perfect beings that God created. In fact, from the Bible, we find that it was the first perfect being that he created. Well, so the conclusion is that sin actually comes from a perfect being. That yeah, right? Sounds weird, right? But oh, wow. yeah, that's exactly what it is. Can you share some insight about this conclusion from the Bible? So this, this first being, the Bible teaches us that this first being was actually a particular kind of angel called a covering cherub. And we can read about him in Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 12 through 14. In those verses, it says, speaking about this angel, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God, thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou hast been perfect, or excuse me, thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. The workmanship of thy tab, raisin of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Wow, it seems like this angel was very powerful, very beautiful, very wise, we can say. Can you help us make sense of, of, of this angel? So, in Hebrew, the phrase for sealing up the sum is chatam toknith. Mm-hmm. And it literally means to make an end of a consummate pattern. In other words, this, this angel was the epitome of all creation. And that another way to put it is that this being was as close to God as God could make him, mm-hmm. which is really profound. Extremely powerful, extremely wise, and majestic in beauty. Yeah, so very powerful. And what what other hints do we find from the text about this angel? So we can find out actually from the text who it was. Um, It says that this angel was in Eden. Now, Eden was a spot at the beginning of creation uh, where God created a a garden and placed Adam and Eve in it. Mm Mm-hmm. And as far as we know from the Bible, there are only four recorded beings as ever having been in Eden. Yeah, if we exclude the animals, the birds, and and so forth. Minus the animals, of (laughs) course. And uh, they were 
God, Adam, Eve, and the serpent. And according to Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, the serpent was actually the devil. Oh, wow. So if, if we take this logic, does that actually mean then that God created the devil? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, first, what we can glean from the, the, the text, maybe before going there, is also that God and Adam and Eve are not angels. Mm-hmm. And so this is speaking about a cherub, a particular mm-hmm. kind of angel. And so by elimination, the, the being that is being brought to view, the one who sealed up the sum, the one mm-hmm. who was the consummate pattern of perfection, it was the devil before he became the devil. And so what it teaches us is that the first being that God actually created was the devil. Yes. So can we blame God then for the problem of evil? <laughs> right. If God, it, the, the way it goes, right? God created this evil being and therefore yeah. God is ultimately responsible for the evil. Yeah. Well, the Bible doesn't actually say that he was evil. It just says that this is who he created. When he was created, notice what the Bible says. In Ezekiel 28 verse 15, Thou wast perfect in thy ways, from the day that thou was created mm-hmm. until iniquity was found in thee. So the short answer is that no, God is not to be blamed for the problem of evil. Got it. So the conclusion is that the being that God created, uh, you know, this covering cherub, was the perfect being. Correct. And what does that mean? When it comes to the word perfect, in Hebrew is the word tamim. Literally, figuratively, and morally, it means upright, without mm-hmm. blemish, without spot, undefiled, complete, whole, sound, innocent, mm-hmm. all of these things. So the devil, before he became the devil, was actually pure, upright, mm-hmm. righteous, innocent. Yeah, and that's, I think that's a big contrast uh, to the word iniquity, which means unrighteousness. Eh? Yeah, perfect, exactly. Because the point is that the devil was actually perfectly righteous until some change took place inside of him that led him to unrighteousness. Wow. So what happened to this, uh, to this being, to this covering chore? That is the question. What did happen? So to get a better understanding of that, um, we need to study what exactly a covering cherub is. Mm-hmm. And do we have hints in the Bible? that One of the best places that we can go to is uh, the book of Exodus, because there it talks about a sanctuary that God commanded the children of Israel to build. And this sanctuary, according to the book of Hebrews, chapter 8, verse 2 and verse 5, says that this sanctuary that was built on the earth was actually a miniature representation of a sanctuary that already existed in heaven before it was actually built. Mm-hmm. So it was a pattern of the true heavenly sanctuary. It was a pattern of a true heavenly sanctuary. And this sanctuary on earth was divided into three different sections. The first one was the outer court. And the second one was the, well, it was basically two. You had the outer court and you had the tabernacle proper, Mm -hmm. which was like a tent. Mm -hmm. And the tent was divided into two sections, the holy place and the first, and the most holy place and the second section. Got it. So the most holy place then would be the most important section in in this whole place. It's definitely the most important. And it's interesting that that is where we find covering cherubs. Oh, wow. So this is where Lucifer was. In the in heaven, we would we would say he was he was in the most holy place. Oh wow! And um, inside the most holy place, there was this piece of furniture, a very special one that most listeners and viewers are probably aware of, um, thanks to Indiana Jones. 
And uh, that was the Ark of the Covenant. Mm -hmm. And on the top of the Ark of the Covenant were, the way it was designed is it was like a box plated with gold. And on the inside were the Ten Commandments of God. Mm -hmm. And on the top was a lid that covered the, the box. And it was called the Mercy Seat. And on either side of the Mercy Seat were two angels, covering cherub angels, and they stretched out their wings over the mercy seat. Mm -hmm. And it seems like, you know, when we look at the Ark of the Covenant, it seems like this was God's, you can say, throne, right? Because in, I think in the book of Exodus, it talks about how God wanted to meet with the children of Israel from there. Yeah, it, it's called the seat for a reason, too. Um, God is actually a king, and a king has a throne, and he sits on that throne. And you can read it in Exodus 25, verse 22, where God says, this is where I will commune with you, and I will meet you, meet with you above the mercy seat. So we can, we can glean from these texts that what the Ark of the Covenant actually represents is the throne of God, and the throne of God specifically in heaven. Got it. So if I want to summarize, so we have this sanctuary, and we have a tent in the sanctuary, there's a very important room in that in that tent called the Most Holy Place. Mm -hmm. And we have the Ark of the Covenant in that Most Holy Place. Where do we find the cherubims in that, in that picture? Yeah, so on top of the Ark itself, again, on either side, there were two cherubim. And um, you can read about it in Exodus 25, verse 20. Mm -hmm. I'll go ahead and read it. It says, And the cherubim shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings and their faces shall look one to another toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubims be. And what was the role of the cherubim in that whole picture? So the word itself for cover literally means to defend and protect. It's like a screen um, to entwine as a screen. Mm -hmm. So a screen actually is twofold in its purposes. If you have a screen door and, uh, you know, maybe in the summertime, you are using the screen to protect those inside and to defend against the mosquitoes on the outside. Mm -hmm. You see the illustration? So the role of the covering cherub was to both defend and protect. And specifically, it says that their wings were covering the mercy seat. So their purpose was to defend and protect the mercy seat of God. Oh, and, wow. And with that comes a lot of, um, there's a lot of symbolism involved. We find that in the, in the Ark, the Ten Commandments, that's the law of God. And what it teaches us is that the foundation of God's throne or the foundation of his government is his law, mm -hmm. which is totally logical because the foundation of any government is the law of the land. Mm -hmm. And then above that is the mercy seat where the king sits. This is where justice is meted. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting that it teaches us here that the mercy of God is actually above. If you can put it this way, mm -hmm. it's above. Mm -hmm. So in other words, he's more willing to pardon than he is to punish. Mm -hmm. And it was the role of the angels to, for these two covering angels, to defend and protect the harmony and the peace of heaven. And so their role was to extend the grace and the mercy of God to promote unity and harmony within mm -hmm. heaven. 
So it seems like this powerful cherub that God created, his role was actually to protect and defend the throne of God and his justice, his mercy, and everything that the kingdom of God stood for. That's exactly it. Uh, so it's how is it that this, this powerful, this perfect being became a bad guy? When did the devil become the bad guy? Well, um, we don't know exactly when, but at some point we do know that Satan began to cherish animosity towards God and his rulership. Mm-hmm. In Ezekiel chapter 28, same chapter, in verses 15 through 17, it says there that the devil was perfect in his ways from the day he was created, but then it says that his heart was lifted up because of his beauty and that he actually corrupted his wisdom by reason of his brightness. And it filled the midst of him with violence. So he became proud. Pride eventually clouded and perverted his wisdom. Mm -hmm. And then he took that wisdom and he bent it on doing evil against God. And the goal eventually became to rise above God and establish a rule of his own in opposition to God. Mm -hmm. This is uh, interesting in a way so this angel was actually he was sealing the song he was the summation of everything that God has created and beauty and wisdom and he was so wise that kind of like he lost his mind that he was puffed right. off a little bit he wanted to do something big or something he, he, sees, he saw his role as not simply an angel he wanted actually to, to fulfill a different role uh, in the story and this is actually what caused his fall according to the Bible he wanted to be just like God That's it. and we even see that and when we continue with the Bible, that this angel actually end up challenging God himself. And you know what's really interesting about all this too is it's very ironic because he wanted to be like God mm-hmm. and to have his position, but he didn't maintain the character required for the position. Mm-hmm. So did, did this cover and show up? Did he only have animosity and pride? How did he continue to work out his plans? So it says that at some point there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. Mm -hmm. This is in Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 and 9. Uh, He fought against the dragon, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. And the dragon fought and his angels, and they did not prevail. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. So you you, you want to tell me that this angel was not only corrupt himself, but he actually gathers friends around him? (laughs) Right. Somehow he managed to um, deceive angels into joining him. And um, together, what ended up happening, the Bible says that they rebelled against the government of God and sought to take over. Oh, wow. But their revolt, according to these verses, was actually unsuccessful and their plans were checked. Wow. And what happened to the dragon itself? And it says in conclusion of this whole war in heaven, uh, the dragon was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. And there's something to point out about this because some people might be tempted to think, you know, hey, maybe this all happened in a day. Mm -hmm. But the likelihood of that uh, is not really there. Um, Just like the path of the just is as the light shining more and more unto the perfect day. Mm -hmm. If you turn that around, the path of the wicked is like the sun going down and the night setting in little by little. So whatever was going on here in heaven... That eventually led to Satan changing his mind about God and about his position and about the government of God and, and all of these issues. It was little by little he began to cherish these feelings mm. 
And eventually, that is what changed his mind. And then he was able to spread what he was thinking and bring all these other angels into, into the equation. Yes, and if we think about what it takes to start a rebellion, it's not something that you can build. It's not a coalition that you can build overnight. That's a good and point, too. That, that, you know, this angel, he was powerful, so he used his power and his beauty. And instead of exalting God, he wanted to exalt himself. So he, he built his case, you know, get a coalition, and, and hopefully try to fight against God and his kingdom. That's it. A question that a lot of people can have, you know, as we talk about evil, where does it come from? Is that why is it that Satan, you know, this powerful angel, why is it that he rebelled? Why is it that he wanted uh, a position for himself? How is it that iniquity was found in him? And how can we make this concept of Satan's apostasy, his fall, fresh in our lives? So when it comes to why, we, the short answer is we don't know why. Um, there's another question that also should be maybe touched on here too mm-hmm. is people are going to wonder why did God allow it to continue mm-hmm. and the answer is simple if uh, two people were put into a court of law and one stood up to condemn the other it wouldn't be fair for me to stand up and condemn somebody else and, and I'm actually the judge mm-hmm. so there's two powerful beings right and God is technically on the on the side of judgment. And so if angels were convinced about what the devil was doing, it would have been unfair for God at that time to have wiped out the devil. And so instead, he must give the devil time to present his case and to see, is it really true that if he's given power and authority that things will be better? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like something that we cannot explain. It's kind of like a mystery that needs to be played out in a way, before the universe to be able to see yeah, the it's, true working of evil. It's one of those things where you, it's almost like, you know, you, you can't believe it until you see it type thing. Yes. And so it needs to be exposed for what it is. And there's a good reason for that because it is a safeguard against it ever happening again. Yes. If you can fully disclose the spirit behind all of the evil that is in the world, it is enough to prevent it from ever happening again. Yeah. And I think it's more sincere than just to say, hey, believe me, you know, if I let this happen, uh, you wouldn't believe what you know, could have happened. But instead, letting the mystery of, of evil, in a way, play it out. Like play out. Exactly. And so at the end of the day, the Bible does say in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7 that this sin that took place in heaven and this war, it is a mystery. It's called the mystery of iniquity or the mystery of lawlessness. Mm-hmm. And that's basically when a created being will seek to exalt himself above God. And why would they do that? It's like saying, would a cow try to become a human? <laughs> doesn't have any sense to it. doesn't make sense. Yeah. And so there really is no reason for, for the rebellion even to take place. And because there's no reason for that, there really is ultimately no reason for sin or rebellion at all. Yeah, and, and we truly believe that if there was a justifiable, justifiable reason why sin happened, why Satan rebelled, then he wouldn't be, he wouldn't be sin. It wouldn't be sin, right? Um, yeah, and ultimately, everything would fall on God's hand again, and yeah. he would be accountable. Mm-hmm. But what the Bible does present is very clear that there was no defect on the part of the devil. Nothing was wrong in his character. Uh, I mean, when he was made. When he was created. When yes. God made him. Yes. <laughs> so whatever eventually happened came from within and was a manifestation of his own pride. Mm -hmm. And 
there is the possibility for that. If, if God is love and he grants all created beings a freedom of choice, because by definition, love needs choice. Of course. If I held a gun to your head and I said, give me your love. <laughs> That's fear. I can't force you to love me. <laughs> yeah. So only by love is love awakened. And the problem is that love produces a risk by itself. Mm-hmm. And so if I give the person, if God, in this case, God gives the person, gives the devil the opportunity to choose for himself, he also has the choice to choose against God. But in the, in the mind of God, love was worth the risk. And so he himself was willing to bear the penalty of allowing sin to take its course. And that itself is another mystery in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Because the Bible tells us that God was so willing to expose this and to save those who would trust in him from its consequences that he was willing to bear the penalty himself, mm-hmm. the penalty of sin. And we see that exemplified in the life of Jesus Christ. Yeah, and I think this mystery is called the mystery of, of godliness, which is in contrast uh, with the mystery of iniquity. So in First Timothy 3.16, it says, Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And it tells us what that mystery is. God was manifest in the flesh. So on one hand, you have the mystery of lawlessness, where a created being seeks to go above God. But here you have the mystery of godliness, where God was willing to stoop down to humble himself to the level of his creation, to save his creation, and to save his people, his his creation from the penalty of sin, mm-hmm. from and, sin and death. And just like we saw with the mystery of iniquity, there is actually no reason for for this action on, on God's part. Right. There's no so basically there's no reason for sin and there's no reason for love. Yeah, and there's no reason for grace, there's no reason for redemption. So think about that. <laughs> yeah. That's quite profound. Um if we are going to get stuck on this issue at all, you know, you can always look at the rose bush and see thorns on it mm-hmm. if you want to do that. Or you can look at the rose. Mm-hmm. And I think at the end of the day the Bible provides a reasonable enough explanation. And we'll go more into this, but suffice to say, it is not chargeable to God. And if we're going to dwell on any of these these issues, it would be better for us to dwell on the mystery of godliness. Yes, and I sincerely believe that from the two mysteries, the mystery of godliness is the one that God wants us to focus on and the one that we need to dwell on. Amen. And I really hope our viewers will take this challenge as well to focus on the mystery of godliness. Amen. And from the Word with Fresh podcast, we are your humble servants. I'm Matthew Tracy. And I'm Wendy Sintel. Thanks for joining us. And guys, we want to hear from you as well. So please leave your comments below. Don't forget to like the video, subscribe if you haven't already, and share with somebody that you feel could use a blessing. Join us next time. Stay fresh.